Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Youth Sunday at Third Church. We are very excited to have you with us this morning. Sadly, I cannot be there with you to share my message, but fortunately, I'll be able to share it over video. My name is Charles, and I'm a senior at Goblin High School. Turning our attention to the passage, 1 Timothy 4, verses 7 through 10, we are immediately cautioned against godless myths and old wives' tales. Paul is referring to the old teachings of the heretics that upheld a system of asceticism, meaning the abstinence from specific activities, such as foods and some marital practices. For them, godliness involved constant self-denial to maintain control of the body. Paul's biggest caution is against the focusing too much on and elevating of earthly things. Instead, we should give God's word the ultimate authority. Now, I would describe myself as a man of fitness, and when I read these verses, the first thing that catches my eye was, train yourself to be godly. Paul is very intentional with this language. When he says, train yourself to be godly, he's definitely making a connection to some type of exercise. In fact, in the King James Version, it states, exercise yourself to be godly. In 2016, I was diagnosed with thyroid cancer, and while I have a great prognosis, I still want to protect and build my body to the best of its capacity. In 2017, I got involved in personal training at the YMCA through the Moving Forward program, which pairs cancer survivors, survivors and personal trainers. Through the program, my attitude, to, my attitude towards exercise, diet, and well-being has been revolutionized, and I'd like to think I've made a significant transformation, mentally and physically. In my passion for fitness, I spend a lot of time researching and reading new exercise techniques, dieting options, and training programs. Most of these differ in their philosophy, approach, and execution, but they all preach some of the same core concepts, dedication and consistency. Paul is clearly intentional with the phrasing here, but why does he explicitly reference exercise? I believe we can better understand the dedication to godliness by viewing the process through the lens of training. For this reason, I want to officially call my section of the sermon, Charles's Guide to Godly Gains. Firstly, all proper training is based around diet. Dieting is essential. It's the fuel that drives our bodies to perform and improve every day in our daily activities and exercise. Our bodies need carbs to enable our muscles to recover and act to their full potential. We need fats and nutrient, for nutrient storage, and we need protein for recovery and synthesis. We also need vitamins to energize us and run our basic bodily tasks. The same theory applies to our spiritual diet, if you will. With our spiritual intake, we neither have the baseline nor the energy to complete our faith-based task, which is really everything we do. It all starts with a consumption of scripture, confession, and prayer. Scripture is the building block upon which our faith is built. We formulate all of our understanding for God's commands, principles, and guidance through our reading and understanding of scripture. In this way, we can think of scripture as the carbohydrates that make up our faith diet. Our spiritual knowledge is the source we can call upon for successful spiritual action. We see this best in the Bible when Satan tempts Jesus during his 40 days in the desert, and Jesus repeatedly calls on his knowledge of Scripture to deny Satan's offers and remain spiritually pure. In the same way, we must call upon our spiritual reservoir throughout the week to remain true to God's Word. Confession, too, is a very important aspect of our faith diet. Confession is necessary for us to recover as we understand our mistakes and sins. Without confession, we unnecessarily carry around the weight and shame of our sins and often forget how loving and gracious God is. In a way, much like hydration, confession cleanses us, cleanses, us, cleanses us of our impurities so that we are not weighed down by the earthly gunk that gets in the way of our actions. Finally, one of the most important parts of our spiritual diet is prayer. If you know a gym rat, chances are you've all heard him say, more protein. That's because the body needs protein as the most important part of synthesis and growth. Likewise, prayer is essential 
to our faith diet because in prayer, we find the true opportunity to grow closer and closer to God. As with any program, we must focus on the goal for which we are training. Rather than training to build muscle or build strength, we are training to be closer and build a relationship with God. And that is precisely what prayer does. Prayer is the most intimate place we can be with God. In prayer, we can experience the joy of thankfulness, the rejuvenation of forgiveness, and the comfort of releasing our anxieties to God's higher power. I found this growth through prayer when going through my biggest health trial, my surgery in 2016. When it seemed like the offers of the physical world were failing me, such as the nausea medicine that was so disgusting it actually made me vomit, true story, I could rely on prayer for comfort and know that I was drawn even closer to God and he would carry me all the way through. Spiritual diet is not all similar to physical diet, however. As with the old heretics preaching, physical diets are all about self-denial. Deny yourself carbs, deny yourself meat, deny yourself processed ingredients, get rid of dairy products, sugars, these evil five gut-building foods. In a world where diet has become a process of self-denial of bad foods, God's diet is quite the opposite. You really can't overeat in scripture. God calls us to embrace the abundance of his word and prayer time with him. Imagine, diet that instead, imagine a diet that instead of restricting your intake called you to just embrace good food. That's the spiritual diet. Through God, we must embrace the good foods of scripture, confession, and prayer. Through God, our spiritual diet is all well and good, but if we don't actually apply that diet as a congregation, we will not be able to grow in our faith. This is where we come to the second pillar of our health faith training program, exercise, as the King James Version puts it. An important bit we hear from frequent sermons is that our faith is more than just the knowledge of godly foundations that we build in church. It is about what we do with that foundation in our Christian lives in the week to come. Exercising in general forces growth by pushing the body out of its comfort zone, making it grow. A runner must run faster and farther than he has before if he wants to improve his cardio, just like a weightlifter must lift more weight if he wants to be stronger. We must apply the same principle to our spiritual journey. Many of us are probably afraid to exercise our faith because it pushes us out of our comfort zone. I know that as a Christian, it can be daunting to speak by my face in high school, where it is strange because a huge part of our faith is sharing the gospel with those around us. But Christianity seems to be taboo in school, and perhaps it's taboo where you find yourselves. This is why community, whether inside of church or out, is so important to our faith. Community with others brings out different sides of us and enables us to grow in many ways, including in godliness. The famous Christian author C.S. Lewis once said, In each of my friends, there is something that only another friend can bring out. But myself, I am not large enough to call the whole man into activity. I want other lights than just my own to show all of his facets. We need all of the other lights we find in community to bring out all of the facets of our faith so that we can grow in that with others. I often feel the closest to God when I am closest to my youth group peers, especially on the winter retreat, which is coming up in two weeks. In the retreat, rather than being alone with God, we are together with God, which is very important to seeing him in our lives. The other way we exercise faith is through service. I'm sure we've all heard the phrase, I went on that mission trip to help them, but I found they truly helped me. It's cliche, yes, but that's because it's true and it shows the religious value of service. With all of our spiritual diet and exercise mapped out, let's return to the connection to my fitness journey. I probably spend upwards of 10 hours a week between training, planning workouts, and preparing my diet. If I had to be honest, I spend maybe a 10th of that time dieting and exercising for God, if even that. A good question to ask in the light of this then is, am I really treating my faith like training? The Holy Spirit gives us the desire to grow in godliness, but we also have to take action. Training requires consistency and dedication. How much closer could I grow with God if I spent as much time serving, praying, and consuming scripture as I do doing pull-ups and presses in the gym? How much closer could you grow with God 
if you dedicated yourself to train for him and spent adequate time doing so. Thank you. Good morning, third family. My name is Will Stedman, and I am a senior at JR Construction Zone Tucker, the half-demolished school on Parham Road. So now that Charles has introduced our verses, let's go into verses 8 and 9 in our passage by Paul. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. As Charles mentioned, these verses zero in on the idea of godliness, and Paul tells us two times over that it is of value to us, meaning it must be quite important. So what exactly is godliness, and how does it apply to me, one might ask? Let's tackle this question in its parts. Godliness is the virtue of making oneself like God. To relinquish selfish control of one's life, and put faith in God's divine plan. Now, let's explore the claims in our verses that this virtue is useful now, in our earthly lives. To be quite honest, being a disciple of Jesus, being a Christian, isn't easy out in the wild, like high school. In fact, maintaining a godly life can be uncomfortable and even dangerous for us. In fact, for hundreds of years after the death of Jesus, the early church faced a massive amount of persecution, and many churches in third world countries still do today. People then and now literally face death for upholding godliness. Now, I thank the Lord that I was born into a far more peaceful time, but even now in our tolerant society, Christians face a lot of difficulty day to day. Personally, I deal with this difficulty every day of the week at school. All the students out in the congregation can surely back up my experiences. Being a Christian in high school, plainly speaking, is not cool. People call God a crutch. They say that faith is worthless, and they say that there isn't a savior out there for us. It's pretty brutal, honestly. And I'm sure all the adults in the congregation can also recall some level of abuse that they've suffered from practicing their faith. Put simply, godliness is hard. And when our bodies aren't tempting us, the rest of the world is trying to get us down. But take heart. I can truthfully promise that faith in our Lord God, godliness, will be worth your earthly time. The first thing that godliness and commitment to faith will offer you is an unmoving purpose for your life. As Hannah prays in 1 Samuel, there is no rock like our God. If we continue this analogy, our worldly plans, schemes, and ambitions, they're like the desert sands. If you try to grasp them in your hands, they will dissolve away, and a house built upon them will sink and erode. But our God, the living rock, will stay constant and unmoving. We will always be able to cling to him and to his presence, for he will always be there. When we build up our lives on his foundation, they will stand sturdy and strong, and they will never fail us. Upholding godliness gives our lives purpose, and it gives us value. Excitement and happiness is something that most people spend their entire lives striving to get. And some people, unfortunately, lead themselves into ruin just because of this pursuit. I have often heard my pastors compare this frivolous chase of earthly contentment to trying to fit a square peg in a round hole. Sure, you may be able to jam it in, but there will always be a void left because the square peg was never meant to perfectly fit. No matter how you twist or turn the peg, only a round peg will be enough. Just like in this example, our hearts are like the round hole. Only God's wholeness 
or roundness for the purpose of this comparison, can fill the hole that sin and death has torn into our hearts. Only by aligning ourselves with God can we make ourselves complete with a joy that will never fade and never leaving us craving just a little more. Christ suffered far more than we will ever know and died so that we may be free from the endless and unfulfilling cycle of hedonistic tendencies that we find gripping our world today. Speaking of lifeless cyclicality, if you have been in the world of business, corporate life, or school, you are probably familiar with the term rat race. For those of you not or lucky enough not to be acquainted with this term, it refers to a constant power struggle that exists in these environments and ultimately dominates them. When everyone spends their time trampling one another for a coveted promotion, big bonus, or top place in the class. Since high school is essentially a nine to five job with plenty of unpaid overtime, I can definitely attest to this struggle, which is ongoing. I'm very thankful that this behavior doesn't happen to me in my classes, but I have heard from friends that students near the top of their classes would actually try and sabotage one another out of the most prestigious spots. For example, if somebody missed a day, you know, and asked about the homework that they needed to do, their peers would avoid telling them, hoping that they just wouldn't turn it in, you know, possibly giving themselves a chance to move up in the rankings, or when studying for a test, people would purposely feed each other wrong answers to trip each other up. Everything in these environments is boiled down to the numbers. And everyone is only worth their weighted GPA or their super scored SAT. I am fortunate not to have experienced this out in the real world yet, but I'm sure that many people can identify with this truth to some extent. But church family, we can still rejoice. God has given us worth that is far greater than any number. Jesus has died for us, and when God sees us, he sees the worth of his righteous son, not our sins. Being godly allows you to step away from this self-deprecating cycle. If the rat race is a simple errant puddle that everyone is trying to get a drop from to quench their thirst, all of them will, be par- will have parched mouths desperate for water. But as Psalm 65 exclaims, the streams of God are filled with water, and anyone who drinks from him will always be satisfied. Maintaining a godly life gives your life meaning that you cannot possibly earn. God has graciously given us a promotion, a bonus, that is far greater than any, any, any amount of money, sorry, and anything else we may find on this earth. He has given our lives direction and eternal life after death. There is no need to occupy ourselves with scheming or forging worldly plans to follow. Keeping the virtue of godliness allows your heart and mind to be at ease. God gives us a perfect and righteous path to follow, and all has been given to you already. In closing, hear the words of Matthew 6, 19 through 21. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, your heart will be there also. We may earn lots of worldly things in our lifetime, but remember, our faith, our love, our godliness is transferable to the next life. Godliness is worthy of full acceptance because it reaps treasures that never rust, 
They never degrade, and they will never be stolen away. Thank you. What's up, guys? Um, my name is Trina Jeffer, and in the truest of Trina fashion, um, I have gotten myself bronchitis and a concussion. So <laughs> these uh, sunglasses are not for fashion. Um, the light is very bright, but you know I've done the past two services without them, so we're going to attempt this one. So um, I am a high school senior um, at Henrico High School. Um, I'm in the Center for the Arts program, um, level four dance. I love my school. I love everything they're doing. Um, so uh, back when I was thinking about what I wanted to write and how I wanted to write, started freaking out a little bit. Because, I mean, let's think about it. You're expecting me, someone who hasn't even graduated high school, something that is the basic level of qualification one can have in today's day and age, to write a sermon? Seriously? Utter insanity. So in my crazed adventure to write a sermon, I decided to start at the beginning and then section this verse, verse 10, into three distinct parts. Corey would be very proud of me. So we have this, that is why we labor and strive, then, because we have our hope in the living God, and finally, who is the savior of all people, especially those who believe. So uh, Paul writes, for to this end we labor and strive. And as I stated before, I'm a high school senior, so quite literally, the entirety of my life has been leading up to that moment that I'm going to walk across that stage at the Siegel Center and graduate. Now, a momentous occasion and one that I like, cannot wait for, I've also been like working and striving to get into college. You know, I have spent countless hours studying trying to get good grades. I have taken so many standardized tests to get college credit. Um, I have taught, I have worked to be the best dancer I could be so I can get into a good dance program. And, you know, I have taught so many dance classes so I can be the best dance teacher I can be. And then, you know, it doesn't stop. Like, once I'm in college, I have to work super, super hard to maintain those good grades so that I can get a good job. And I understand how that sounds with a dance major, like I know, trust me. But then, <laughs> once I get this job, I have to work really, really hard to get a promotion, and then the next promotion, and then the next. And then, you know, I have to work hard to provide a nice life for my family and then I have to work hard to get a good retirement, and then I have to work hard to get into a good nursing home, and then I'll die. <laughs> Does anyone else feel their heart rate in their ears? Can I ask you this? Am I always supposed to be working and striving for the next big thing? Struggling in the rat race? Is this it? You know, and for a while, I, I saw, thought, yes, and I saw the desperation of the people around me. You know, the doctors have worked and strived to help my brother, but he still has cerebral palsy and cannot walk. My mom works two jobs. I have friends who are literally drowning in student loans, friends who have graduated, who now work at Starbucks, who are hopeless. I have seen my friends in school abandoned by their parents and forgotten by the school system. Do you see the hopelessness? I ask you again, is this it? These are the questions I had when I went to Rick Hutton. Scared out of my mind because in the grand scheme of things, in the life that I just laid out for you, you want me to write a sermon? <laughs> so then we looked at this verse and you know, Paul goes on to say, because we have put our hope in the living God. Hope. 
How cliche. You know, and then Rick sent me um, a section from his devotional. And um, pastor and author Paul David Tripp says, what we're all searching for is hope that won't disappoint us. You're asking it to give you a reason to continue. You're asking it to help you through difficulty and disappointment. You're asking it to free you from envy or anxiety. And the fact confronts you with this reality. If your hope disappoints you, it's because it's the wrong hope. Hope is a person. His name is Jesus. You know, I've been to Sunday school, I've been to this church my entire life, and I thought I knew this, but then again, I thought I knew calculus, so you know, where are we standing? Um, and the verse continues, it says, who is the savior of all people, especially of those believes? You know, our worth is not based on how many A's we get. Our worth is not based on how many times we get praised. Our worth is not based on college, on jobs, on boys, on paychecks, on savings accounts, on life plans, or any of our human achievements. Our worth is in our hope, is in our God. Our God, the one who loves us even though we do not deserve it, who sees us entirely worthy, entirely loved, and accepted. He's not asking you to not work hard and strive. That's not at all what he's asking you to do. He's just asking you to work hard and strive through him, to exalt him, not college board. And you know, we are not alone in our struggles. We have our faith, our community, our God. We have the people in this room and we are not forced to go down this path alone. With this, I cannot say that my anxieties and doubts are gone, because honestly, I don't think they ever will be. Um, but I am working on giving them over to him, trusting him, to do what this passage tells me to do. Finally, I want to end with Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Again, we are not the sum of our accomplishments. We are whole in Jesus, our hope. As Charles said, godliness doesn't just happen. We have to train for it. And this training has great value because godliness, as Will said, has great value. And it comes from Jesus, our hope, and it is in him and through him that we labor and strive. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I just want to thank you for this day. I want to thank you for every single person in this room. I want to thank you for every single person that has led us to be here in this moment. Everyone in our community who has helped us, who has helped us overcome our difficulties. I also want to thank you for this moment that we have together. And I, want, uh, um, and I want to thank you for helping us go through the next week, month, year, knowing that we are not alone and that our struggles are not in vain because it, they are for you. Amen. <laughs>